delightful, super, perfect. Yeah, absolute magic from Dortmund. The passing, sublime from Dortmund. Finally, the luck is coming back to Dortmund. Peter Stöger brought the luck back to Dortmund. It has nothing to do with luck. It has everything to do with skill. Hello all and welcome to episode 214 of The Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and uh, I'm once again joined by Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung. Hello Konstantin. Hello Stefan. And Matthias Zug also here on this panel. Hello Matthias. Hello Stefan. Borussia Dortmund are third in the Bundesliga table right now after two consecutive wins under newly appointed Peter Stöger. We, of course, already talked about the 2-0 win away in Mainz on Tuesday, but we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-1 win over Hoffenheim, which uh, two of us in the show got right in our prediction last time. Uh, <laughs> and we have to preview the cup match, which will happen on Wednesday night away to Bayern Munich. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, of course, have very positive memories when it comes to cup games away to Munich in the last three years or so so that's something to look forward to i guess but um little news flash uh <laughs> before we actually talk about hoffenheim pierre-merick Aubameyang extended his contract for another year until 2021 now constantine is this anything but a race um no i don't think so and it it just gives Dortmund a little bit more leverage um, in negotiations with um, clubs who want uh, to sign Aubameyang in the, maybe summer of 2018 or 2019. Uh, if you know the a contract goes longer, um, you got you got a bigger chance to uh, get a higher. Uh, transfer fee at the end um, of the negotiation, so that's about it. And he gets he gets a raise um, because he is one of the most valuable players for Dortmund and basically the only center forward right now um, because Isak is somewhere but not on the pitch. Um, so yeah, but I mean that that that, that was a low key um, news basically that it was you know that uh, Sork just dropped it. Um, as a side note, basically, the, uh, that tells you something. Um, I mean, if it would be a, a, a ex uh, contract extension, would have been a, a great uh, success for the club or something they have worked on for for months and uh, they were proud to announce it, then we would have heard about it. Uh, but we didn't really. And so, yeah, that tells you everything I need to know. Yeah, Matthias, uh, what do you think are the chances that Pierre-Marie Aubameyang will stay on in Dortmund for the next, let's say, two or three years? 
and more or less finish the prime of his career in Dortmund? I, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I think if his heart was really set on, I have to go, I have to go, I have to go, he may not have agreed to a contract extension because it wouldn't make sense. So I think he's comfortable with the notion of spending an additional season past this one at Dortmund, uh, depending on what the market bears. So I think that's really what it is. It's, it's seeing what comes up maybe this January, but more likely this summer, how the season closes out for him. So I think it, it is a signal that it could add another season, that he's maybe more comfortable with it. But I wouldn't necessarily believe that he's going to see out the full contract. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's it's hard to tell because on the one hand, he has a lot in Dortmund and there is really not much of a market for him. I mean, we had uh, PSG showing interest in him, but that fell flat when they changed their sporting director. AC Milan, that's on and off, but there's also no guarantee if they even can offer something like the Champions League or so. So... Yeah, and we, we can't a, and we can't forget Ace Milan is also currently being investigated due to financial fair play because they're over investing. So it's not you know who knows what happens there. But if like you said, I mean, I mean, you mentioned Real Madrid. If Neymar now ends up going to Real Madrid, that does open the door to PSG again. Yeah, but maybe. You know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has a lot of qualities, but uh, he also has a couple of deficiencies. And I think if you are a top-grade club that uh, wants to basically be an elite club in, in Europe, I don't even know if uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is the right player for you or whether you're looking for strikers with different features. You know, if you if you are looking for a striker that, you know, knows how to hold up the ball let's say that you know Aubameyang is not your first option I guess so just saying it might just be so and in my my calculation it's very likely that Aubameyang will stay in Dortmund for longer just because there is not really the uh, demand for him as uh, he would like to have it to really have that big money move away from Dortmund but of course I've been wrong before and I will be wrong again um quickly there's this rumor of Maximiliano Romero from uh, Vélez Zafield in uh, Argentina floating around, Konstantin. Um, you just mentioned it, Alexander Isak. Um, yeah, he is not really close of breaking into the team, let's put it this way. Um, a player that has uh, created the interest of uh, VfB Stuttgart, namely Michael Reschke, former Bayern sporting director or squad planner i don't even know what his official title was but uh, he has very he's very well connected in south america psv also in the mix um i have to admit i haven't really seen much of him if anything at all any insights you can give on this player or do you have an opinion whether uh, it would be a savvy move to splash out about 12 million for an uh, argentinian striker that is 18 years old in the winter break I mean, it, w it wouldn't surprise me if uh, you you have to pay twelve million for someone like Romero. Um, just that's the market these days. Um, yeah, twelve million it, are not not a lot of money, right? Right. Now. I mean, it, it's in in the uh, Emre Moore range, basically. Um, okay, uh, Romero 
uh, doesn't have the international exposure uh, because he's not featured in the national team right now, um, which is, of course, I mean, naturally he isn't uh, because of, you know, all, all the great strikers Argentina has. But um, still, he's he's so one of the most talented uh, young strikers or centre-forwards or, let's say, strikers in, in South America. So there's something to it. But, uh, I mean, as we know, there are tons of of uh, talented uh, attacking players um, in Argentina, Brazil, or Uruguay. Um, so um, he doesn't really, in my eyes, he, he doesn't really stand out as someone who would, you know, break into the the uh, world-class category uh, anytime soon. I mean, he would be a long-term project, just like Emmanuel was a long-term project and it didn't work out and um, parted ways after one season. Um, I mean, the, the, the addition to the to the initial rumor that um, he could be signed by Dortmund is that after that, uh, Dortmund could give him uh, could make a loan deal with Stuttgart, um, which would be interesting because uh, right now Stuttgart already has a couple of young players. I mean, I don't know if they are. Uh, satisfied with having so many lone players but um i mean it would be interesting to uh give him more playing time at stuttgart for instance so but uh if someone thinks that romero would be would come in and you know immediately uh be an asset for the first team for the starting 11 or for the let's say uh close circle around the starting 11 um no not really um but um He's he's also I mean playing wise he is skill wise he is um, not really the Aubameyang guy he's, he's more someone who can play with uh, respect towards the, the opposing goal um, you know layoff passes um, quick transition attacks that's that's his style basically um, not really the the, the Aubameyang type of of striker who's you know, waiting and and trying to run behind the back line um, more often. Um, yeah, so. I guess this is the the same reason why uh, you know a name like Mark Ut, who scored against Dortmund on Saturday, of course, right. uh, is floating around. Who is you know similar as to the player type you just described. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm also a little bit torn uh, as far as Mark Ut goes. I mean, I think he. He could be someone of value for the, for Dortmund. On the other hand, he doesn't really elevate you to the next level. You know, he's just he he would be a great role player, but I don't think he's much more than that. And I don't I don't think you would you would go into a season and think that Mark Ud is your f uh, first string center forward. No, it's because basically if, the casting for the next Julian Schieber. Um No, I wouldn't <laughs> say that. I mean, Julian Julian Schieber is basically world class and. Um, so okay. I don't know about that, but <laughs> no, uh, seriously. I, I mean, uh, the the, the Ute, also Ute, he Now now he thrives in a sister of two strikers, you know, with two floating number nines, as Christian Streich once a uh, uh, called system with you know not a usual center forward number nine, but with two guys who are you know, drifting around um, up front, and I think that suits him very well. Uh, while um, the Dortmund system with the f with the one center forward, you know, who's a centerpiece, who's who's the key player, uh, a target player. I don't think that's that's Ut's uh, role. He he should play at Dortmund or he should play anywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean a little bit torn. Um, but on the other end, Romero or even 
Latero Martinez, he, more Martinez than uh, Romero, but th these guys, you know, they would be projects. You know, you have to develop them, just like Jordan Sancho, just like would have had to develop uh, Emery Moore into a, a player of value. But um, nothing, nothing, uh, no player would fix your issues. Um, meaning, if if Oameyang leaves immediately. Yeah, I mean, Michael Reschke described Romero as also an investment in the future for Stuttgart and described him as a player that would be worth 30 to 50 million in a couple of years. Um, which, but, of, but I of could, course, I could see is, them is use much... him immediately, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. Just, just let's say Dortmund signs Romero and, and then the, there's a loan deal being made with, with Stuttgart and he would, you know, he would go to Stuttgart after the winter break. I mean, he could. He wouldn't be their first string striker, no, um, because they have Ginchek and Aros, uh, but Terrode is, is on his way out, uh, probably going to Cologne. So, I mean, he would get playing time there, but yeah, he wouldn't be like the first choice for, uh, Hannes Wolf. All right. So after discussing a couple of rumors, uh, Borussia Dortmund extended the partnership with, uh, marketing agency Lagardère today. Um, Matthias, what exactly does that mean for the club? Who the hell are Lagardère? What are they doing right now? And uh, what is changing within the deal? Because they've, of course, had a very long partnership with Lagardère. So Lagardère is um, a marketing agency, like I said, a marketer. So they market the hospitality rights, the advertising rights, and the media rights for Borussia Dortmund. And Akivatska came out and said that a new contract has now basically been extended to 2026. This current one ends in 2020, basically. So the the new the new terms start in 2020, and you know everything kind of ish stays the same, except that one of the big things is moving forward as of July of 2020, and that's what you know immediately gets said um, by. Thomas Tress, who's the financial head, basically, um, is that uh, the central or the the central marketing media rights Lagardère will have nothing to do with it anymore. So those are the central media rights. I'm assuming for like Bundesliga TV rights, um, not like BVB Total or something like that, and that's huge money that then goes into the club. The club doesn't doesn't have to share that anymore. And um, Akivatska recently, when he got asked for the value of Borussia Dortmund, said it's conservatively a billion euros. Now, I assume he said that because current, if you look at the current um, value on the stock market, it's just over half a billion euros. But given that he probably knew what was coming with this new deal and that as of 2020 more money will come into the club um, and the fact that the stock value is projected to go up here very soon uh, that billion euro valuation sounds very very feasible and he's not one to throw out numbers like crazy because you can't you can't do that as a um, as a stock company You know, you can't just say, oh, we're worth a trillion dollars when you're not, because that could overinflate your stock value. And, well, that's not good. You can kind of go to prison for stuff like that. So that's 
kind of from a sporting aspect, nobody seems to really care. But when it comes to the financial health of this club, especially if you look back to where this club was 12 years ago in, you know, one step, one foot in the grave of no longer existing, this is huge. Yeah, it's especially important. Lagadere used to be called Sport 5. And in a time where Dortmund were completely stripped for cash, they, of course, sold their media rights, as you just described them, to Sport 5. So um, basically getting those rights back, which this new deal now does for 2020, is a huge step in uh, yeah, getting getting money back. It's just like... Uh, you know, being 100% honest of the Westfalenstadion again, which Dortmund, I think, are, aren't yet, but also probably are planning to do so. Just like I think the Allianz Arena for Bayern Munich is completely paid off by now. And this, of course, also makes a huge financial dis uh, difference. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, maybe a, a low-key news, which didn't get too much attention. But, uh, yeah, the ramifications of it can be quite significant going forward in uh, about... Two years. So um, I guess that's good news. And uh, if you want to invest in Dortmund stock, I guess it's it's now would be a good time because Dortmund are, you know, in a sporting crisis, quote unquote, although they've maneuvered themselves out a little bit. But this this, this stock has dropped in, in recent years. And uh, if that's good is to be believed, it will be, I don't know, it's it's around six euros right now. It's probably going to be nine or ten euros and maybe five years. If Dortmund, of course, keep their sustainable way they are on right now, which you never know. So, you know, it's still always going to be a gamble. But I say if you have a little cash and want to invest into Dortmund stock, now would be a good time. So, um, now would also be a very good time to talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-1 win against Hoffenheim. Konstantin, um... First of all, was this a deserved 2-1 win for Dortmund? <laughs> I mean, Dortmund scored two goals. Hoffenheim only one. So I guess it was deserved, right? Otherwise, you would be in uh, these fictionary discussions where uh, we have to um, talk about things that didn't happen or that, that might have happened or whatever. So I, I don't really care about that. Um, Dortmund scored two. Hoffenheim only one. If if you want to uh, point out expected goals, yeah, uh, Dortmund had like three point seven or something, and and uh, Hoffenheim had point nine or so. Um, so there was a clear um, gap between the the two. Um, and overall, I mean, I thought the 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 approach at the uh, in in the early phases of the of the match, uh, Dortmund's approach wasn't wasn't really smart. Um, to be completely honest um but especially in the second half just like against uh mines they had a lot in the gas tank still left and um that's something that can help you although i mean the last 10 minutes or so of the match um Dortmund also looked like looked a little bit blown up and um it was more or less uh one um situation where three great individual players um just did something outstanding, meaning Dahoud and then Kagawa and at the end Pulisic and that was the second goal, which brought the second victory in a row. All right, thanks for that <laughs> great analysis. No, honest, honestly, um, Matthias, let's maybe uh, talk about this a little bit more chronologically. Um, Dortmund, uh, once again, a very 
I don't want to say passive approach, but it, it was way more reactive and, uh, yeah, Dortmund didn't really press Hoffenheim consistently in the first 20 minutes or so they were very reactive but they forced a couple of turnovers and Hoffenheim committed a couple of mistakes and Dortmund once again in their transition I already criticized it after the Mainz game were not really ruthless um, especially Andrei Yamolenko not um, efficient in front of goal um, Matthias overall do you think this was the right approach for Dortmund against against Hoffenheim team that um yeah, can play ball cleanly out of the bag, can evade pressing. How do you see that? Well, I think uh, it wasn't, the, I want to say it was like the first 20 minutes stat came up that um, Dortmund clearly outshot Hoffenheim, but Hoffenheim clearly outpossessed Dortmund. So it was kind of like what we talked about last week in, in an approach where they're gifting Hoffenheim possession and trying to hit them on speed on the counter, running at their, let's just say, not greatest center backs in the Bundesliga, especially when it comes to running at them at pace. And you saw that a few times that they got flustered. And honestly, Hoffenheim got lucky a couple of times to to not concede a couple more. Same could be said the other way around too. Um, I think the approach was maybe a little too passive. I think you could have pressed them a little sooner instead of basically inviting Hoffenheim into your half and then eventually pressing. I think with the players at Dortmund's disposal, you can start that well before, or at least before the midfield line is what I would have liked to have seen because you were giving them, you were giving Hoffenheim too much time and they're intelligent enough and they're set up well enough that they can do things with that. And I think, you know, you asked if it was a deserved victory. It was a very Bayern-esque victory in the sense of, you know, kind of, uh, snatching that victory from the jaws of a draw, but a draw, I think, but I think a draw would have been, nobody would have complained on either side with a draw. I, I think both teams were pretty equal overall. I was okay with a one all, uh, getting the two one at the end obviously was fantastic. Dortmund showed a little bit more resolve at the end and really should have scored another one. I still don't know how Aubameyang did not score that <laughs> yeah he couldn't believe goal. it himself he was grinning it, well he was <laughs> laughing he yeah. was laughing at, while he was missing he was laughing which you know those that's one of the things you i kind of like about obama young he still does have fun out there and not a lot of people would be laughing after a relatively embarrassing miss like that so um yeah at the end of the day they won and it was it was good it's good going into a buyout match with two wins on the bounce. Yeah, definitely. What I found interesting yet again, and uh, Konstantin, maybe you can talk about this also. Um, you are someone who often talks about intensity as well and often criticize the Dortmund. Are, they, they look tired. They look um, not really fit, especially late in the game. Um, in the last two games, they actually had some gas left in the tank towards the uh, latter stages of the game. However, if we look at the intensity, the defensive intes intensity and uh, Hoffenheim's opener, I, I look at Rafael Guerrero not really closing down the player. I look at Marcel Schmelzer and I think Christian Pulisic in that instance just um, trying to guard a space that uh, yeah, what, what wasn't really necessary. 
Um, do you think that Dortmund sometimes lack the, um, yeah, really the grit to really throw themselves into tackles and make, you know, make things a little bit more painful for their opposition in the way they defend? Because sometimes I at least think they're too tame. Well, um, I mean, when we talk about intensity, it's uh, or when I talk about intensity, I, I, I rather want to talk about you know pressuring uh, in as far as you know occupying zones, uh, being close to your opponent, not like the entire tackling game, uh, which you can play, of course, but um, you will be prone to uh, losing a lot of these du duels, uh, and you are prone to you know getting basically outplayed um especially when you when you're going up against Amiri Demirbay um Ud and etc so um i i think Dortmund players they they come from the school um that you usually should you know stop and block your opponent not really uh, going down you know that's the problem uh, especially uh, when you try to tackle um, uh, going down is usually a bad thing. Um, it's considered a bad thing in modern football. Um, so, yeah, well, um, sure. Sometimes they lack intensity that they, you know, they are especially right now with the with the changed approach under Peter Stöger that um they play a, a deeper pressing line and you know stuff like that which also uh, could lead to a tendency that they will uh, backtrack rather than you know pressure um and i think the the uh, go ahead goal for hoffenheim um was a perfect example because uh pulisic instead of um pressuring amiri he just dropped back next to schmelzer even confused schmelzer a little bit um, and then Schmelzer Ford, he had to um, basically close the gap between him and Pulisic um, to not allow a pass going through uh, through the, these two. But so left yeah, ironically, he opened up the space. <laughs> yeah, he opened up the inside, you know, and, uh, next to his right foot, uh, where then uh, the pass went through and cut a shot back. Uh, received the ball there. So I mean, Pulisic, Pulisic made a crucial mistake there. Um, he should he should have gone uh, a few yards forward and tried to block, not tackle, but block Amiri. You know, block his view and stop him. You know, break the flow of the uh, attacking play is what you should do. Meanwhile, uh, Schmelzer, you know, has to close the gap uh, to his uh, to the uh, man right next to him, which is Toprak in this case, the setup back, you know, always close the gap to the setup back is what, what every coach would tell you. Um, but because police is dropped back next to him, he, you know, he had to make a decision. And I mean, it, it was, uh, in, 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 in a, you know, portion of a second, he had to do something. And of course he made a mistake. I mean, uh, that happens a lot. Um, so I mean, Kara Shabek's not even like the, the threat at, uh, at first. Um, he can do what he wants. I mean, he can, he can run offside, whatever. Um, but, uh, you, you know, shut down the middle. Um, that's, that's always what you should do. And so, yes, I mean, maybe there's a tendency, especially as, as Stöger apparently, uh, wants his team to, uh, be more passive, uh, more reluctant in the, uh, during the, the first half at least. Um, 
which you know could lead to a tendency to to backtrack a little bit more and and try to sit deep and be passive uh, even if you are close to your own penalty area which is uh which is not the right thing um to do um and also i mean and just to to make one point um i mean hoffenheim and we we talked about it on our last show when we previewed the match um hoffenheim had a, a lot of problems um before the dortmund match with their build up play you know they they struggled immensely uh, uh, intensively uh, extensively um in their build up play um before traveling to Dortmund. So what Dortmund did by being so passive and, you know, having Aubameyang just a few yards uh, ahead of the uh, halfway line and, and all the, uh, and, and four players behind him and not really pressuring Posh, uh, Kevin Vogt, you know, who struggles uh, a lot uh, when he has the ball and, and also Hübner, you know, not really pressuring them. You, you build up their confidence you know, with every pass that that was accurate and that uh, found the target, they became more and more confident in their own abilities in the build-up play, uh, which l- led to uh, rather, you know, um, uh, which led to Hoffenheim team being pretty dominant in in some phase of the first half. And I don't think there was a smart approach. That's that's why I said, I think, um, I mean, in a vacuum, maybe it's the right approach to to be a bit bit more passive and do, you know, the contrary uh, contrary thing and not uh, doing what Bosch did, you know, trying to overrun the opponent the first half and then getting tired after 60 minutes. Sure, you can do that, but in a vacuum, that's right. But, you know, you have always adjust to the opponent. And if they struggle with the build-up, you have to pressure them and have to uh, expose their weaknesses. Well, Stefan had to quickly step away, so I'm stepping into my old role, at least for the next 120 seconds, <laughs> as as a moderator here. So there are two observations I made, Konstantin, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. One, going to Uma Toprak, who to me looked shaky at times, like he's still waffling on his confidence a little bit. He just didn't seem comfortable when he had the ball. Uh, which is always in, in his positioning at times and so on. He just seemed a little nervous, let's put it that way. And the other one is Yamolenko now over the last few weeks. To me, he's showing the signs of someone who's honestly really, really tired. More so that he's not good because when he came in, he started like a house on fire. And he's, I just think he's played too many minutes. He's not the youngest anymore. You know, he's 27. And... In my opinion, he kind of looks like someone who's getting tired physically and then mentally, and that's why he's just, at times, not really trying that hard anymore, especially when working back. What are your thoughts specifically to those two players? Yeah, I mean, first, Turper, I totally agree. I mean, he looks nervous, um, and he, he it doesn't look like himself, basically, or what we saw from him when he was a, a force at Leverkusen. Because when he was at Leverkusen, he was the... Uh, the chief defender, you know, the 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 leading, the key figure uh, in the back line. So right now he isn't. He's, you know, he's. There are doubts that he has the uh, whether he has the quality to pl- uh, to be a starting player for Dortmund, and I think that really affects him. Um, and I think um, the winter break will will show or will give Stöger time to figure out who should really play, uh, who should really be his first choice centre-back. I mean, I think Socrates is like that, that he has a, um, a spot in the starting 11 is basically given, but you got Bartra, you got Sagadu, you got Toprak, uh, so three players. And with 
you know, wearing um, attributes and, and skills and, um, of course, experience levels. But uh, or, I think, I mean, Toprak has to has to fight for his place. Um, because, I mean, Butcher, if he gets back and, uh, you know, if he gets back in shape, basically, or he, he, if he's back uh, on the level he was uh, last year, um, he should play instead of Toprak because he's... He's far more um, confident in uh, when he has the ball. You know, he can he can advance. He can play vertical passes uh, far more accurately than Toprak. Um, and yeah, Fixo Butras is of course someone who could play in Sagadu because of his athleticism. Is also someone who should be considered. Uh, and Subutic, I mean, he was a substitute player here. So um, in in the in injury time. So I mean, he even even he has a chance to uh, get back on the on the pitch and be a starting player. So, but right now, I mean, I don't really know why Toprak. I mean, th- th- there are questions, and there is a question uh, that that should be asked if whether Toprak should play against Bayern, but that we can talk about in a minute. Um, and regarding Yamolenko, yeah, I, I mean, I think there are two reasons uh, that he's struggling right now. First, he's he, yeah, he is exhausted. I think he's just you know running out of gas. Um, Coming in, um, coming to Dortmund, signing contract and being immediately, you know, put on the pitch and basically uh, bosh the man or the, the fans and the club and bosh, uh, they demanded, um, that he has to perform, uh, at the level where he can help the team. And then he scored a few goals early on and, you know, the pressure piles up. And, um, so yeah, that, I, f- I think that there's, there's something to, uh, that theory and the, the, the other um point is that just his defensive um defensive game or the def- defending game basically is it's not really um what you what you sh- it's he, he how should i put it um i mean he struggles with with defensive basics sometimes which is concerning um i mean that has that has something to do with being tired but also something to do with just basic you know skills a technical understanding um so uh, i mean he can be a liability uh sometimes and uh i mean yeah we will discuss about the Bayern match uh him against alaba i mean when we remember um the defeat um Dortmund suffered against Bayern a few weeks ago. I mean, Yamolenko looked just uh, lost against Alaba. And I think uh, at the Allianz Arena in, in Munich, um, him against Alaba and, and Coman, it could be it could become a nightmare for him and for the entire team. Uh, because, I mean, Toljan has stepped up, but he's not someone who can just, you know, um, wipe out everything and, and uh, cover uh, for Yamolenko's mistakes, that's that's not what he can do, and so um, there's we really Stöger has to has to consider uh, replacing Yamolenko and bring in an, uh, another center midfielder and and fielding Guerrero as the left winger and Pulisic on the right wing. So because Yamolenko can be a liability defensively, I mean, on the other hand, counter attacking wise uh, against Hoffenheim, um, I mean, also uh, Stöger, I think. Technically, he gave Yamolenko a little bit more freedom than Pulisic, so Yamolenko was positioned a bit higher uh, sometimes, and he waited for uh, the transition attack, and he waited for some uh, passes he could receive, and then run down the the right uh, right lane. But um, you know, basically just standing next to Omiyang sometimes, uh, which also tells you something that you know he was a bit uh, freed from defensive duties. Uh, it's, it's 
sure, I mean, surely he, he can be um, asset and counterattacks, but uh, I mean, that, that doesn't make up for his uh, defensive issues right now, I think. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. And, you know, one of the players that came in against Hoffenheim and actually, and I've been really critical of him, but I thought he actually did quite well, um, was uh, Dahoud. He, he didn't look that bad. He looked a little bit more comfortable. Uh, do you see that as an option more and more going forward after the winter break, of course, when Pilastuga has more time with the squad, can properly evaluate it and put his stamp on it, that we'll start seeing, also given the injuries that, of course, the, the squad has, more and more of Dahoud so he can maybe gain a little bit more confidence, gain a rhythm, because a player like him, I always feel, is a rhythm player. He needs he needs the playing time to feel comfortable, to feel confident playing with his teammates so that he can basically be the player that Dortmund had signed based on his earlier performances at Gladbach. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I totally agree. I I, I think that uh, Dahoud right now, I mean, he lacks confidence to some extent. He, he had a few bad performances and I think he questioned himself uh, or yes, questions himself um, over and over again, and I mean, I I, he, I think he himself expected to be uh, a far more important player, uh, even in the first months at Dortmund, uh, because at Gladbach, um, while he wasn't like um, some experienced veteran or so- someone who's like uh, leading the locker room, you know, he, he was he was never a locker room leader. But he was someone who was just um, of of high value on the pitch because of his passing game, of his dribbles, and you know everything he can do, um, especially offensively. Uh, but uh, going to Dortmund, you know, struggling at first, and uh, not having the performances he needed, and the entire team starts struggling, and you know he's just in there, not sticking out, uh, or if he, if he stuck out, then in a bad way. Um, so yeah, I, f- I think it's it's really something about confidence, it's something about uh, rhythm, and and also it's something about uh, finding his role in this Dortmund team because I mean. Because Bosch changed a lot uh, in the in the last few weeks of his stint at Dortmund, and because now Stöger comes in and changes the system again, now you got Weiger as the uh, lone uh, deep lying playmaker. So uh, while I think sometimes a, or a few months ago it was considered that Dahoud and Weiger could be, you know, a double pivot. Uh, uh, two number number sixes and and Dahoud would be the more advanced number six. Now it looks more like you play with Weigel or Shaheen in that regard um, as the you know lone uh, center midfielder and with two number eights uh, with two advanced midfielders uh, in front of him, uh, which were uh, Guerrero and Kagawa in the past two matches. And I think now. Dahoud has again has to adjust a little bit uh, because every you know these these changes can affect a player, um, especially a young player like him. I mean, he's twenty one years old, it doesn't really have the experience. I mean, he played a few seasons for for Gladbach, but there's just still you know he's still a developing player. Um, you can't compare him with Kagawa, for instance. Um, so yeah, I think it it will take a little bit more time. For him, but um, if Dortmund is successful, 
Um, going forward after the winter break, if they win more and more matches and get back on track, I think he can, you know, can use this wave of success to get uh, back into his groove and his groove and, you know, just thrive again and um, be an asset. Uh, but on the other hand, I mean, if, if Mario Getze comes back, um, if Castro comes back, uh, the the race or the 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 fight for the two um places in in the advanced midfield um will you know will, it will get tighter and it will get uh tougher for him to get playing time. So I think right now while uh, Götz is injured and Custer is injured and Rode is not a factor also injured, I think um you know now is the time or like immediately after the winter break that, that's the time when he could uh you know mark his spot and really uh show that he can be an asset for Dortmund otherwise he w- I think he will continue struggling uh, until the summer break and I mean uh which which would at the end result in one of which would mean that he had a disappointing season um a disappointing first season which is not the end of the world for someone like the hood I mean again 21 years old um but uh, i think overall i think he thought that he would be more important than as i mentioned than than, than he is right now and um i mean something like that can be a knock uh, on the confidence of a player um and i think Dahoud is someone who can be you know shaken rather quickly definitely um constantine we also do have to talk about uh I don't I don't know if you guys just did while I was gone, but um about two things, of course. Shinji Kagawa I thought had a brilliant game. I don't know if that was mentioned. No. Okay. Then I will do that now. Shinji Kagawa had a brilliant game. I thought he had the intensity that I saw missing from a couple of different players. His passing was not not always hundred percent good, but it you know there was brilliance in it you know there were a couple of great touches that uh, kept counterattacks alive for example i would also make the point that um yeah his his movement was great with and without the ball and uh, yeah that was the sort of uh, shinji kagawa type performance uh, that i want to see more often from him i mean he won the penalty and in the end also played the assist for the winning goal and uh, matthias um, I once again was not 100% impressed <laughs> by the defensive contributions by Andrei Yamolenko. And in the second half, of course, uh, as uh, we more or less already mentioned, after Dahu came on, Christian Pulisic went to the right side, Guerrero then moved to the left side uh, as uh, Yamolenko went off. And um, Pulisic, of course, scored that winning goal over the right side as well. So um, if we already look forward to the Bayern match, maybe... Um, would it maybe be good in quotation marks to to start Andre Schöler on the left side to give Pulisic more time on on his right on his favorite right side? I think so. I mean, we Kosanya kind of talked about it. My opinion, aside from Yamolenko's defensive deficiencies, let's call it that. And I think part of it is he was never asked at Dynamo Kiev or even for Ukraine to contribute defensively. Uh, he was one of the main attacking outlets, and he was asked to be that main attacking outlet. Um, against Bayern, yeah, bringing on a Schule or putting uh, Guerrero out on the left and Pulisic on the right, I think 
makes everybody a little bit more comfortable in this kind of a situation. I, I compare it to, you know, going back to the, the club years when you would make sure that Kevin Großkreutz plays matches like that because of his defensive strength. You know, when, when it was Großkreutz on the left with Schmelzer behind him so they could shut down Robin as an example, or Ronaldo as an example, if he would run across those sides. Um, I think that's really what you need now in this match. And I, and I will venture to guess that Peter Stöger, seeing that second half, seeing how comfortable Guerrero was out wide and left on an attacking sense, not a fullback, because I believe he has strong deficiencies there, um, him on the left, Pulisic on the right. I think that'll give him confidence to say, "Okay, let's let's go with this against Bayern." Let's basically start with the eleven that finished, for the most part, um, the match against Hoffenheim. Yeah. Also, you know, a player that deserves a small mention if he didn't already get one is Jeremy Tolian, who I thought also once again looked very solid for Hoffenheim. Now, um. Lastly, on the uh, end of the Bundesliga in 2017, at least, Dortmund on third place, two points behind Schalke. Um, Matthias, how do you feel about that Schalke are the worst second-place team ever at the uh, winter break? Well, it's it's as beautifully Schalke as it can be, I'd say. Um, you know, watching them over the last few weeks, you know, here's an example, and, and we kind of talked about this pre-pod. It's the fact that, you know, after the, the Javier Dabi and they, they printed and sold t-shirts, Dabi Ziga 4-4, you know, they're celebrating a draw. I mean, that to me shows the mentality of the club where it's like, I'm celebrating a draw. I'm so happy we got a draw. Um, you know, whereas in my opinion, you make t-shirts when you actually win something, not when you don't win something. Um, they were incredibly lucky against Frankfurt. They've been incredibly lucky a few times. Um, I think they will get found out and caught because just like Bayer, Dortmund's luck were really unlucky at times under Peter Bosch. I mean, there were matches where goals were conceded where you went, that's just not fair. Um, but now their luck seems to be returning. Now, nobody has quite the Bayern luck, but uh, I think Schalke's luck will run out because at times they have been found out and they can't always rely on Naldo to score a uh, last second equalizer to get them a point because they've been just kind of getting a point here and there, excluding the victory against Augsburg. And they're, you know, overall solid defensively, even though they've given up a lot of goals over the last month and a half. Um, defensively, they're not that much better than Dortmund, if you look at goals conceded. And so I think they're, they're going to be found out because, you know, I... Again, Schalke, to me, that final goal that gave them the equalizer against Frankfurt shouldn't have stood because Burgstaller was offside, in my opinion, uh, in an opinion of a lot of people. And so I think their luck's going to run out. I think Leipzig are struggling. Gladbach, you don't know which Gladbach is going to show up from week to week. Uh, Hoffenheim's kind of the same way. Dortmund seem, on ironically, now Dortmund seem the most stable out of the whole group 
because we can't forget between second and I believe eighth, there are only four points. So it's incredibly tight. I mean, yeah, Bayern's going to win the league, but Champions League, Europa League, not making the Europa League, and then aside from Köln, bottom of the table, you know, you've got five five teams fighting it out against relegation. It's a very close and very exciting Bundesliga season. Yeah, as you said, Bayern, Bayern and Cologne. <laughs> It couldn't. It couldn't be more exciting, really. Um, now the thing is, Dortmund, of course, as Peter Sugar said, you know, they have to consolidate. You know, players like Lukas Piszczek, Marco Reus, Gonzalo Castro, Mario Götze, maybe even Eric Durm, and so on and so forth. They all will return. Sebastian Rode, maybe also um, after the winter break. I don't know how soon. But, uh, you know, ev eventually they will join and reinforce the team. And uh, Dortmund boasts the best attack in the Bundesliga after 17 rounds. I think that much, much is clear because they scored the most goals. Um, and if you add a little bit more defensive solidity, which I at least think Peter Stuger will add in the second half of the season, then uh, Dortmund should have the consistency to, you know, get a top four finish. I have very little worry right now that Dortmund uh yeah will out will finish outside of the top four ranks because I, I just think there there are not too many teams that will have the consistency to beat Dortmund over thirty four match days. Constantine, do you agree with me that Dortmund now look very uh, on for top four finish or do you think it will become a little bit more tricky than I assume it may? throughout the course of the season because Dortmund of course in in the two games against Hoffenheim and Mainz also showed that there are defensive frailties individually at least uh, still to be addressed yeah well, why I think uh, Dortmund will make the top four um, I don't believe it will be it will uh, be pretty um, it will be a rather ugly Uh, Rick Wunder, as we call it, um, uh, overall, I mean, it's just, uh, first of all, I mean, there are still issues, as you mentioned, um, there are still issues, and I don't think uh, there's enough time to solve them, um, and also Stöger, I mean, he can, he can improve, uh, or he can help uh, the team evolving in all um, aspects of the game, but still, uh, I think he will rather... Uh, Robert prefer uh you know uh, something a style of football that is uh you know that, that stabilizes the team uh but isn't really exciting um and maybe sometimes even dull and uh could lead to negative results here and there so um yeah uh i f i think they will make the top four because the, the just the competition is not there uh i mean i can just can repeat myself uh Before the season started, I thought uh, Schalke would be runner-up, Leip Leipzig third, Dortmund fourth, Gladbach fifth, uh, Hoffenheim sixth. So, uh, I, and I think that will be the end result. Um, and but Gladbach Hoffenheim, it's not really the tough competition. Um, and even Leipzig, you know, you, uh, I mean, they ca they they need the winter break to recover. Um, Uh, but they will play Europa League, and I mean, of, of course, I mean, uh, maybe they, they will go out against uh, Napoli. But uh, if they go through, I mean, they 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 will have a lot of uh, matches um, to be played. So 
yeah, I just there's not stiff competition um, behind Bayern. So I think even in, in let's say mediocre Dortmund um, will be good enough to make the Champions League qualification. All right, but uh, will they be good enough to advance to the cup quarterfinals on Wednesday night? Matthias, um, if we look at the last couple of Bayern games against Cologne and against Stuttgart, they were 1-0 wins. Um, in both instances, their opponents had chances to equalize at the death of the game. Stuttgart, in the form of Akolo, yeah, missed that penalty. And I think, was, was it Klünter in the end who tested Tom Starke in that 1-0 win away from Cologne? Of course, Cologne were completely dominated by Bayern over 90 minutes. But my point is, on the one hand, Bayern Munich do not really look like they are steamrolling everyone right now. On the other hand, you could make the argument they were saving energy for Wednesday night. So after two wins in the Bundesliga for Dortmund and a bit of a confidence boost, um, how do you see Dortmund's chances going in that game? Um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> um, I'd say slim, Personally, I mean, yes, this isn't the greatest buy-in of all time. This isn't comparable to the Pep buy-in or even Jupp Heynckes' original buy-in that won the treble. Uh, he's kind of picking up the pieces from the last, you know, season and a half that Ancelotti left him. Um, but it's still Jupp Heynckes is still buy-in. You know, I mean, you can't forget last season when when it was also a buy-in that was, I'd say, maybe on a slight down blip-ish Uh Dortmund needed a lot of luck to get past them, uh, and we don't have money Benda this time. So, um, I, I would if Dortmund was going to play Bayern in the cup, um, I would rather have seen it in the next round after the winter break, where Peter Stuttgart had more time with the club. I'm not overly optimistic. All right. Konstantin, uh, A, are you more optimistic or pessimistic than Matthias? And um, do you think Peter Sugar will take the same approach with a midfield press where Dortmund are just more on the back foot? Or do you think Dortmund will try to surprise Bayern now under, under Stürger, who, of course, is the coach that knows how to win in Munich? Or was it to, to draw? I can't even remember. But, uh, you know, someone who can get a result against... Munich. So, what what do you think Dortmund's approach in general will be, and do you think it will be enough to dismantle Bayern or at least get a draw and force a penalty shootout or something? Yeah. So, I I'm, I mean, I totally agree that I think Dortmund is the clear outsider here and and uh, the, uh, the underdog. I mean, and uh, there is I, it would be close to a miracle. Uh, if they if they go through and and beat Byron uh, at this point at least, uh, it's just you know, the the balance has shifted uh, has changed a lot and um, Byron is right now even though they are not really um, you know at the top of their game still um, they are far ahead of everyone else. Um, so um, and uh, Dortmund, I mean, yeah. Winning two matches is something, but it's not like the proof that um, the team is, you know, right there again, where where they maybe were a, a year ago or so. Um, 
And as far as the tactics and, and the overall approach uh, go, I think uh, it will basically be the same, just like against uh, Hoffenheim, they will play rather uh, passive at first against uh, Bayern, trying to isolate um, and, and, and uh, isolate Martinez and Vital and Rames, the three center midfielders, uh, Bayern center midfielders. So trying to you know cover them um, as close as, as it's possible, and uh, just hoping or you know just hoping that uh, they don't concede a goal in the first half or the first sixty minutes. And from if, if it's if it's you know uh, nil nil after sixty minutes or so, I think Dortmund can you know switch the gear and and uh, uh or change the gear and and um put more pressure on Byron be um you know more progressive uh in build up plays and uh, do something and try something um bec- i mean because it's, it's a cup match uh you have to win I mean, you can't go for for the tour so uh after all i mean you have to take some risks here and there um and, uh, so the perfect scenario and, and i think for stöger and the team would be to you know go go with a nil nil into uh the internal and maybe uh even approaching the hour mark and then um maybe even uh, make a um offensive substitute or make a substitution bring in yamalenko for instance who might be on the bench um and you know take more risks and uh try to score the one deciding goal uh, but but that's the perfect scenario i mean uh in reality we don't know what happens but maybe uh Bayern will lead by three uh going into the half time break so um who knows but uh, i don't think uh, stuegel will change much uh compared to hoffenheim and mainz um it's just it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be feasible to you know just suddenly uh, go back to the Bosch approach and and uh, use a high press and uh, just take so many risks and have a high back line especially against Lewandowski and Coman um, that is, is borderline suicide. Yeah, I'm actually a little bit intrigued to just see how things pan out for Dortmund if they're a little bit more passive and reactive, but. Uh, I think Hoffenheim showed quite well if there's a team that, uh, you know, knows how to play with the ball at their feet and Bayern Munich definitely are the best possession team in the Bundesliga that they will find gaps regardless against the Dortmund team that I think lacks the uh, defensive resoluteness. Doesn't even matter how they play, whether they play a high press or whether they are playing a midfield press, a bit more reactive. I think when it comes... You know, down to making the tackle, then I think Dortmund are just a little bit too timid. Um, if we compare that to how Bayern played against Stuttgart, and I saw the game over 90 minutes, um, it's it's quite different. Dortmund, uh, Bayern in this game really did not play Stuttgart off the park by any stretch of the imagination. However, uh, they they always managed to to throw bodies in when it really mattered. They always had this one leg stuck in somewhere to deny a chance or something this is really just the one thing that that's really lacking from Dortmund right now I I think that you know that everyone is 100% devoted to his defensive duties first before making attacking contributions and uh, somehow Bayern Munich have that in them which you know is untypical for a team maybe that is um you know 
the 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 top of the crop basically the the cream of the Bundesliga if you want that uh, you know has so much talent that things should just happen for themselves but uh, you know I feel like there's more complacency within the Dortmund team than there is at Bayern which is a shame it should not be that that way with Dortmund being the underdog in this game but overall um yeah if if I compare those two teams I actually see Bayern with more determination in the defensive department in Dortmund and that in itself is worrying but also explains why uh, Bayern Munich have conceded far less goals than Dortmund in the league um of course on top of their overbearing individual quality at the center back spots I mean Jerome Boateng and Mats Hummels or Niklas Süle are then entirely different ball game than let's say Toprak and Socrates which have done okayish in the last two games but you know it's 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 still a golfing class I would say so um yeah but overall maybe Dortmund managed to stifle Bayern and I'm 100% certain that Dortmund will create chances for themselves at the Allianz Arena they even did so in that what what was in the end a 3-1 loss against Bayern at the Westfalen Stadion in was it September or October I can't even remember but um yeah Dortmund certainly had enough chances to to score three themselves in that game yet if we really look at who was the better team in that game it was clearly Bayern and um that is what I also expect on Wednesday night um Matthias I already mentioned Andre Schule is a player I would like to see back in uh, for Yamolenko then on the left side and move Pulisic to the right side I of course do not know if he will be available uh news conference will be tomorrow but um any changes you would like to see from Peter Schlöger I mean it's at the end of you know another English week or the start of another one however you want to see it but uh just for the sake of fresh legs anyone else you may want to switch up um, I wouldn't, even though I've been critical of him, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, a midfield trio of Dahut, Weigel, and Kagawa. I think that could really, really help. Um, and if he's not certain about Dahut and say is fit and can play and he puts Schüler on the left, Pulisic on the right, then maybe Guerrero centrally, um, Personally, I'd like to see Mark Bartra back in the side versus Uma Toprak. I don't trust Toprak. Um, Konstantin and I talked about it. He looks nervous on the ball. He looks, looks nervous off the ball. He just seems to totally lack any type of confidence. And you have to be supremely confident when you are playing against Bayern. So, yeah, that, that is true. But does Mark Bartra really make the impression of a confident player? In recent weeks when he was playing, I actually have to say not really much more than top luck. But he can, uh, but he can at least, he's more comfortable on the ball. If he has the ball at his feet, he's more likely to make the right decision versus top luck just wants to get rid of it. Uh, anybody take it. Anybody, you take it. Okay. I'll give it to you. You want it? I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll even give it to the buy-in player if I have to, just as long as I don't have it. That's that's the sense I get when I see Topak on the ball. It's like he can't wait to get rid of it. I mean, I'll be honest, Nevin Subotic looks more comfortable on the ball right now <laughs> than Uma Topak. And Nevin Subotic, I like him. He's a legend for our club. He is, just like Nuri Shahin. They are legends of this club and some in one of the most successful periods in the club's history. But his legs are gone. He is not at that level anymore. 
six years ago, sure, Subotic is one of the best center backs in the Bundesliga. Now, not so much. So, to me, that says that I don't trust Toprak back there. I'd rather have anybody back there next to Socrates aside from Toprak. Almost anybody. Even Zagadou? <laughs> okay, like I said, almost anybody. I think for Zagadou, it's just too early. Um, but Batra or, honestly, why not even Subotic? I just think Toprak looks a constant liability. All right, fair enough. Konstantin, do you agree with that notion that uh, Toprak is a constant liability? Yeah, more or less. Uh, I agree. Uh, it's just, you know, like of, like of alternatives a little bit here. Um, yeah, but Batra, um, especially in build-up, uh, would be far more helpful um so yeah i i i don't want to make the decision i mean and i think stöger uh, is at least considering um changes um because toprak is not really there uh he's just not comfortable in any phase of the match so um yes of course the, the basic skills you know the, uh, um to to be a decent to good center back but um, they, there's so much more to it uh, to be, really perform at that level, um, and I don't really think he has it right now. And yeah, and I'd also agree. I I would like to see Dahoud and and Kagawa, uh, you know, in in front of Weigel and uh, Guerrero on the left side uh, against Kimmich and Ramos Rodriguez. Um, I think that that would be helpful. Um, so Pulisic is is uh, uh, acceptable. Uh, defensively, so um, he can play against uh, Alaba, uh, but uh, I, I don't, I don't really want to see Yamolenko against Alaba again. Um, it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's, it's I just no, nothing, nothing a Dortmund fan or you know a Dortmund supporter would like to see or, or should see. No, it's it's, it's just too passive, but. Also on, on, no, no, on no, the... only too passive. He just makes so many basic mistakes. I mean, he, he doesn't really understand positioning. Um, I mean, tactical positioning, body positioning, posture in um, cover shadows, uh, the entire you know the whole nine yards. He doesn't really understand. Uh, he, he isn't used to it. That's that's a problem. I mean, he played uh, for Dynamo Kiev and um, different ball game, just a different ball game. And Alaba, even though. He uh, has declined slightly. Um, just what, just still one of the best left backs in Europe. Um, and he can, you know, make uh, such an Wednesday evening, uh, let it turn into a nightmare for someone like Yamolenko. And I think Pulisic on the other hand, while he makes mistakes here and there, uh, while he's prone to, 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 uh, you know, making these defensive mistakes, um, he can hold his own. Oh, he, the, the likelihood that he holds his own against Alavar is, is higher. Yeah, I also wonder if uh, Pulisic will pull out another performance as he uh, showed in the second half against Bayern, only maybe on the right and not on the left side. Maybe that will make him render him even more effective. Um, of course, Dortmund um, do have to very much think about ball retention because I think this is always a key against the Bayern side that is also very sharp in, in their pressing and as I already mentioned you know they have that intensity about them when it comes to regain possession and, and win back the ball and if, if we talk about the midfield with Weigel, Kagawa, Dahoud and uh, Guerrero maybe on the left side there are options and there are players that are technical enough to maybe evade 
pressing here and there. Um, Constantine, with Weigel being, a, as, as he described it himself, a bit more free, meaning he is a bit more, I don't know, just just deeper, has different responsibilities and uh, can recycle position differently in more the way he likes it. Do you think that uh, Dortmund have a better chance to, to evade Bayern's pressing and have a better ball retention overall? Do you think this can help over the uh, 3-1 defeat earlier this season? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, what what uh, Michael implied, uh, I mean, he did, he did it twice uh, after the Mainz match and then after the Hoffenheim match again, when he talked about you know much more freedom uh, compared to the Bosch, uh, to the Bosch team, to the Bosch system. Um, he, he basically means that he is allowed to drop between the center backs, that he uh, is allowed to get the to to get the ball to uh, do his passing. Um, while when he played under Bosch, uh, he basically, you know, he was just somewhere in the middle of nowhere in midfield, and basically the the ball, the passes, just you know, they they were passing him left and right. Um, so uh, that's th th there's a change, and I think he's he feels far more comfortable being this deep lying playmaker, uh, being this Tony Kroos type of of player, um, and you know, giving. His his team uh, something uh, and not just being forced to counter press, um, which is not even his his strong suit. Um, so yeah, overall, I think Weiger is, is is far more important and far more valuable uh, in in the role uh, Stuger is giving him. Um, and against Bayern's pressing, uh, while they don't use a, a high intense press all the time, but sometimes they do. Um, a Weigel between Socrates and Toprak or Batra or so uh, can be available. Again, especially, you know, if you got uh, Batra as the left-sided centre-back and you got Weigel and, and you got uh, you know, got the numbers game in your favour um, against Lewandowski and and uh, maybe uh, Rames, then, um, you know, a, a lateral pass to, to Batra and uh, maybe an, an open zone there so uh, Batra can advance a bit and create a few a, a bit of danger um it's actually a quite simple but can be an effective strategy you know it, it it sounds simple but it can be effective uh but Butter is the guy who can advance and you you know can, can make this short once um Toprak would never do that i mean he would he would just uh be far too hesitant far too reluctant and uh you just haven't the, the confidence to do it and also not not really the the, the skills i mean while Batra is uh you know fluidly moving uh defender is uh it was just far more comfortable on the ball um so yeah maybe there's something to it maybe that's that's the argument in favor of of uh Bartra, but i don't know uh but at least uh coming back to your question yeah weigel is is a key a, a key um figure in, in dortmund's build-up play um and i think uh it's it's really it's a blessing for him at least that that stöger is now in and pushes out um because just he was uh, not utilized uh, to his best uh, when Bosch was in charge. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think there, there's a video out there that show the full sequence before Dortmund scored their, um, or not scored, but but created the penalty. And I think that were like 35 passes against Hoffenheim. Um, and it really all, you know, it, it was a lot of, 
moving the ball around without creating much threat. But you know what? Then really the, the tipping point of Dortmund's attack making it really, really dangerous was when Weigel got the ball in, in midfield and uh, just shifted with the ball a couple of meters to the right and completely changed his ang angle and passed forward into a half space. And uh, from that on, you know, Hoffenheim's line were, were broken and, and Dortmund's individual talent then basically prevailed with a combination play, I think, between Aubameyang, Yamolenko and Kagawa. So this is this is something I also want to see at the Allianz Arena. I don't know how easy or hard it is to have such a 35-pass passing sequence, but um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Dortmund can settle a little bit. Um, Matthias, um, should we move over to predictions or are there any points left for you to make? I've got no points left to make. All right. I'm pretty much out of points as well. And uh, with that, I guess, Konstantin, you can start with your prediction. Yeah, so I expect a Bayern Munich win. Um, and I think they will, uh, while it will be close for some time, I think at the end they will seal the deal with a 3-1 win. Okay. I mean, the ramifications of Dortmund going out of the cup are not too bad. They are defending champions right now. And uh, yeah, it won't be the worst and at the end of everything if they go out against Munich of all teams, of course. But um, yeah, never know. Matthias, what do you think? What do you feel? <laughs> uh, I, I have to agree with Konstantin. I think it's not going to be super comfortable for Bayern, but... My gut is telling me that Bayern are going to win this thing 3-1. All right. My head is telling me Bayern are going to win 3-1. But my gut is actually telling me that Dortmund will force a penalty shootout that it's 2-2 after 120 minutes and then prevail by scoring more penalties than Bayern. I don't know why. That's just the feeling I have. Might be wrong, of course. But uh, there you go. Um, so I guess it's uh, time to do the outro that Konstantin described abysmal <laughs> before the pot. <laughs> so Konstantin, without any further ado, where can people find you on the internet? Well, no, you, you haven't changed anything. Um, no, of course not. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, they can find me on Twitter, uh, cc underscore e-c-k-n-e-r. Cool. And you can also check out spielvordagung.com. You know, you, you could also say different things. You know, you have so many no, stuff. No, to no, 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 no. Now I'm complacent and I will just stick to the um, well-known formula. All right. Matthias, your formula to identify Fame. yourself on Twitter. Uh, well, since since I did, you know, I never spell it out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Huck. That's M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S-S-W-C-K. It's two U's, not a W. And occasionally, just occasionally, even though it's been a while now, uh, you can also find me on the World Football Index. All right. <laughs> and you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. Not going to spell that because you can find that on the show notes, which are located on yellowwallpod.com, where you find our podcast next to SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course iTunes. And yeah, if you want to get in touch with the Yellow Wall Pod, do that on Yellow Wall Pod. Uh, at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter or Facebook or the contact form. Otherwise, there's nothing left to say than thanks to you, Constantine and Matthias. And thanks to everyone else for listening. 
Until next time, goodbye.